Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And I'm Scott Peterson. And this is episode four of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. Well, Scott, I am extremely excited. Ask me why I'm excited. Why are you excited, Griffin? Well, I'm excited for several reasons. Uh, one is that we're not that far away from the next quiz meet uh, up at Lighthouse, and we'll be talking about that later. But I'm particularly excited because we got somebody, uh, we got what, got some questions that actually came into our email address, um, the uh, iq at cbqz.org email address, which is very exciting. And they're two really cool questions, and so I'm actually very excited that we uh, get into that. But uh, before we do that, uh, just kind of a general uh, summary for the show or topic agenda summary for the show. We're going to be answering uh, questions from the audience first because that's how excited I get when we have questions from the audience. But also, as usual, the material deep dive will be covering Second Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. And uh, in the rules corner, we've got a, a set of really interesting stuff to go through. First answer, incorrect rules, two, three word uh, unique phrases, uh, new language that might be coming out or might be or is coming out. Um, I'm not sure. Scott will give us a report on that. And Scott will go into some very detailed and very, very important information regarding key verses, in particular, both in terms of what goes on in the Pacific Northwest, but also at Great West and at internationals, or what doesn't go on at Great West and internationals, and so on. And then, of course, as is usual, uh, we'll have a Great West uh, update. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Lighthouse Meet in terms of registration, logistics, and so forth. And that will be our show, I think. So uh, without further ado, let's go into these questions. Um, so these are two questions that actually come from the same person, both from Andrew. And the first one is, what is the most memorable quiz for each of you that you guys have quiz mastered over the years? So Scott, we'll start with you. What, what's the What's the most memorable quiz for you? That's a tough question. I think the most memorable quiz that I've quiz mastered um, would be memorable because of the individual performance and not because of any situational importance or anything like that. I do recall a pretty cool district championships finals. I don't know if it was the fourth quiz, but it did come down to the final question. Um, and, I knew, and I knew as soon as I looked at the question type, it was an interrogative. I knew which team was going to win. And that was the team that ended up winning the jump, and Jesse from Chapel Hill got the interrogative and got the question right. And I also remember, uh, I'm, I'm leading up to my, my true answer, but I remember, I think it was district meet number four a couple years back, and after not having either been in finals for the first three meets, or at least not having won finals, Woodenville won finals. And the big difference was Emily, Emily quizzing really, really, really well. And she quizzed extremely well on interrogative questions, specifically on unique phrases. And I was so, so, so impressed because quiz after quiz in prelims and semis, she jumped on three syllables, non-W interrogative questions. They often did not have a unique word, but they had a unique phrase and she nailed them every time. And those were really, that was really impressive. But my favorite quiz was actually also at district championships and, um, it's when Bryce finished off a perfect 90 to move into the top five, and his last prelim of eight was in my room. And it was a really cool quiz to watch because I knew the specific question types that Bryce had prepared for. And the two opponents, the two other teams in that quiz, were known for jumping a lot with kind of a, a mixed accuracy. 
And the first six questions of the quiz went air, air, Bryce bonus, air, air, Bryce bonus. So we're sitting on question seven. Bryce has no questions correct yet. The other teams have very good quizzers. They don't have any questions correct yet. And so everyone is still fighting for questions. And I think one of Bryce's types was a, was reference along with situations. And there was not a single of either type until, I think, question 12. And Bryce stuck to his plan, did not jump on any other types. And then as soon as his types came, he just nailed them all and finished off an idea. And I was very, very impressed because looking back to when I was a quizzer, I don't know if I would have had the self-control and the confidence in what I've studied to wait that long um, to get my first question with a 90 on the line. So I think that was my the most memorable quiz that I've quiz mastered. What about that's, you, Griffin? That's awesome. I wish I, <laughs> I wish I was there. Uh, you know, knowing Bryce, I, I wish I could have seen that. That would have been that would have been pretty particularly awesome. The my most memorable quiz was from quite a number of years ago. Uh, this was back when we were doing uh, world quizzing. Um, do you know if world is still a thing? I have no idea. I never actually attended a world quizzing meet. Yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, world quizzing is a little bit weird. I mean, I I guess from our particular rules vantage point, it's a little bit weird. Obviously, from their rules uh, vantage point, it's not. Uh, But the idea of rule uh, of world was that, you know, all these different programs would uh, individual programs that would normally not quiz together would get together for one or two meets uh, in a year just for fun. And, uh, you know, everybody sort of counted it. I don't think it counted for anybody's individual average for the year. It was really just sort of a a wonderful sort of cross-pollinization of the different programs uh, in terms of ideas and, and fellowship and so forth. And it was really great. But one particular year, there were a number of really good teams that that went to world and uh i was quiz mastering and i was in room 1 for finals and it had a very similar sort of uh way that they run finals is very very similar to how we run finals and so they, it was a multi uh multi quiz sort of situation and we were in the final quiz uh each team had won one and these teams were all all three of these teams were extremely good teams uh they they had all studied the material really well i don't know if i would call them internationals level but many of the people so one of the teams was from uh pacific northwest and and a number of people on that team were destined for internationals so this was kind of the level of of quizzing that was going on and the other the other uh districts that were there had comparable uh level teams so it was a, it was a great quizzing in terms of quality and accuracy and uh control and discipline and strategy it was all in there and uh, i remember the, the 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 fourth quiz we get started and it was uh, relatively straightforward, but it was it started dawning on me, I think probably around question eight or ten, somewhere around in there. It started dawning on me that there was there, there had not been a single error uh, in the entire quiz. It was it was absolutely perfect. Every single question going out was strongly jumped hit, you know, accurately, and it was reasonably well distributed in terms of who, which team was answering, uh, going through this. And I was, I was, you know, as this progressed question after question after question, it became increasingly sort of the emotional excitement got stronger and stronger and stronger until we got down to question 20. And on question 20, and I, and I, and I, this is a number of years ago, so my memory could be faulting on this, but as I recall, 
on question 20, there had still not been a single error. And there were two teams that were tied at this point uh, going into question 20. And the jumping had increased, the speed of the jumping had increased a little bit. But to everyone's credit, they held it in check. And they, they sort of found that perfect sweet spot of, of jumping just at the right amount of time. Uh, you know, and I was, I was being really careful not to, to blurt out too many syllables. And, and, you know, it was just, it was, it was just beautifully precise in everything that they were doing. And we got to question number 20 and the third seat on one of the teams, it was the PNW team. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, this girl who was there, I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to embarrass her, but, um, she jumped and she jumped early and it was an, it was an obviously too early jump because it was on a chapter reference question. And now this was back in the day. This kind of, re- you know, ties us back to, into episode three last week when we were talking about, uh, context. This was back in the day, uh, when dinosaurs roamed and chapter reference questions had the context of the entire chapter. And I had said something like, you know, I forget what, I don't even remember what material it was. Let's say it was Romans or something. I said Romans chapter seven or something. And I don't even think I got all of seven out. It was just like, but, but enough that you could figure out it's like, okay, it's chapter seven. So she jumps, says chapter seven, pauses for about a second and a half, takes a deep breath in and starts at verse one and blitz quotes. And I mean like, blitz blitz quotes and i'm sitting there like going oh my goodness oh my goodness and i'm looking i'm looking over at my material making sure she doesn't uh, jump out of context i'm looking at my question as she's just racing through and i want to say it was i want to say it was in the high teens or low 20s or something and she got to the question uh absolutely nailed it i think it was a standard interrogative but i i could be wrong about it but i i remember she got it right i counted her correct the room erupted and it was just the it, it was just the coolest thing i have ever experienced that sounds amazing i bet you're right that it was a chapter reference because back then you did not have to give a question on a chapter reference so she would have been totally good just blitzing right through it yeah, it was, it was, un- and actually, I believe that was a world thing. I believe world never required you to provide a question, uh, if you, if you pre-jumped. Um, of course, again, this was, this was, it must have been 15 years ago, so I'm having a really hard time remembering, but oh my goodness, that was the coolest thing. Uh, I, I, maybe there was another quiz that topped it, but I just, it doesn't come to mind. It does remind me of a quiz that I did not quiz master and was not at, but if you go on YouTube and search, 2005 internationals finals there's all four quizzes of very 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 excellent quizzing um that i've heard people reference that were there so that's very cool well and that kind of leads us into the second question uh also from andrew what sorts of quizzes are the most fun to quiz master uh and he provides a you know in in, in terms of a, a series of examples like you know high scoring low scoring tense blowout semifinal consolation what tends to be the most fun for you the most fun for me is when the quizzers are very 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 well prepared uh, i like it when everyone ha- in the quiz has a plan and are jumping at a specific speed on specific question types and are not jumping on recognition. And I also like when teams are, are jumping at a specific speed because of they know how they have studied and they are not attempting to just win a lot of jumps and hope that they know the questions that are asked. They have a decent amount of confidence that they will be able to get the question at the speed that they are jumping if they win that jump. I, I just love to see that, that type of quizzing with 
um, preparedness and a plan and then working to execute. And I also love it when you have really, really well-spoken captains who know the material and know the rule book and are kind of, I call it grinding, grinding out a quiz. I was talking with someone um, today of how I really enjoy those quizzes where there's really good challenges and really good rebuttals on gray areas. So maybe context or was that enough to count a quizzer correct? And I just love the competitive fire of seeing um, what you can do within the rules to give your team an edge. I'm similar. Um, I'm similar. I think for me, I would use the word precise. When, I, when I'm a quiz master and I experience quizzers uh, who come into my room and are precise about what they're doing. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be particularly speedy jumping, although that's great. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be even a close quiz, right? I mean, it, what's kind of interesting, I mean, I, I never keep score. Um, I always have a scorekeeper for that. Uh, but I, I almost forget who's leading, uh, or, or where, you know, quiz, uh, I, I usually forget where teams are in, in the rankings as I'm, as we're progressing through the quiz. And it just doesn't matter to me. Um, it, what, what I'm focusing on is if there's even a team that's behind, but they are precise in their jumping, precise in their answers. Uh, and part of that, well, actually a huge part of that comes from preparedness in terms of the time and the effort that they put in before they get to the meet, but also in terms of just their style of quizzing. They're not haphazard about what they're doing. Like you said, they're, they're not just jumping on anything and hoping for the best. They are, they've got a plan, they've got a strategy, and they're in control the whole time. I love seeing when their strategy brought in, brought into play. Uh, in terms of like, okay, they've had this many, uh, I, I like overhearing during timeouts where a captain will say to their team, okay, we've had so and so many of this type of questions, so expect, you know, this other type of question coming up pretty soon, Th that those sorts of things. Uh, is I, I just love hearing that. I love experiencing that. And kind of really echoing what you said, I really enjoy a good challenge. Um, I'm less a fan I think where I would differ from you is I'm less a fan of challenges over subjective things, even though you know, captains should absolutely challenge subjective rulings. They absolutely should, right? Um, it's really, really useful for them to do that. Um, but whenever there's a subjective ruling that I've had to make and somebody challenges, there's always that sort of... Uh, my heart goes in my throat because then I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have to make another subjective ruling about a subjective ruling, you know, kind of stuff. What I love are when uh, somebody says something, I I think they're right, I count them right, a, 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 a captain jumps and challenges, and they can quote part of the rule book a little bit, but they can really quote the material really ca uh, carefully and accurately, uh, and they're and they're working through their challenge, not not mumbling, but they're very confident in what they're doing. Uh, I just enjoy those sorts of experiences, or you know, even better when I count somebody incorrect and they're able to challenge and get that overruled. Uh, that's I, I enjoy being uh, a part of that. Absolutely. I think the way that I always tried to prepare um, was prepare to a level that if I want to jump at the speed that I wanted to win it at, getting the question correct at that point was a formality. So um, study to the point where if I decide I'm just going to jump on the reference on a chapter verse reference or two syllables on a, a finish the verse, I know that at that point I've studied well enough that I will get it right every time. Now that obviously takes a lot of studying and most of the time you get to the meet and aren't able to 
convert on 100% of those chances. But when you see teams that kind of have that that similar mindset and they know if I can get two and a quarter syllables on a finish the verse, I can get at least 90% of them right. And they know this because of their preparation. I just love to see those teams go to work. Yeah. And it's it, it's interesting, you know, looking at Andrew's question in particular, because he provided a few examples. He said, well, you know, what what are things that, that make it most fun to Quizmaster? And he was like, well, well, you know, high versus low scoring. For me, uh, it doesn't really matter, um, except... I don't like universally low, low scoring, right? So like if there's a lot of no jumps, I, I, that, I, I, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I, so it's not so much that there's high scoring, but it's more a, I'm a fan of most of the questions are jumped on. There's very few no jumps, not very many errors. I enjoy that sort of thing. Uh, whether it's tense or, you know, blowout doesn't really matter to me. Uh, semifinal versus consolation, I don't think that really matters to me. I think it's really just a matter of enjoying the precision that good preparation provides. I would agree with that. I don't think I tend more towards any of those than the other. I do think that because timing is such an important part of scoring well in quizzing, that the general flow of a quiz is also very important. And the flow is not good when there are a lot of errors. And I think even if it's the other teams that are erring in a quiz, it worsens the overall flow that makes it hard for you to quiz at a high level. Yeah, that's true. It also takes longer. Um, the, qu- the quiz kind of drags on as well because, I mean, it takes longer to go through a full, uh, full 30 seconds if somebody's kind of dragging on an answer or, you know, if there's if they're not quite precise in their answer and I have to look up a few things to see if they're correct or incorrect, that kind of drags down a quiz. It's really kind of nice to uh, just go through, you know, question after question, correct, correct, correct. I, it, it just sort of builds a momentum and builds uh, energy in the room. It really does. And one thing that I try to do as a quiz master is because I have to be impartial, I almost forget what situation we're in in the quiz, like the score, who's ahead, anything like that, um, because I don't really want to know that stuff. Because if it's question 20 and everyone's tied, then as a quiz master, I know that there's a lot writing on how I read this question, um, how I rule, and all that. And I don't, I want to not be influenced by that as much as possible. And one thing you may notice is if it's a super crucial situation, I won't say something like, oh, it's tied. Here we go on question 20. I'll just say it like it's question one. Or if, you know, it's question 20 and a super specific question type like a finish the verse and the next comes up, I do my best to just read it like it's a finish the verse and the next. Like it's an interrogative because I don't think I should either – I shouldn't be putting any any particular emphasis colored by me on any information that I'm giving out. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, anyway, thank you, Andrew, for uh, emailing us those questions. I very much appreciate it. And quizzers uh, and coaches, if you've got questions, please, please, please email us. Uh, would very much like to hear from you. Uh, in particular, I was I was talking with Scott a little bit earlier today that we've been fairly quizzer focused in the the podcast, which is great. I think you know quizzing is for quizzers. Uh, but I think, you know, coaches, if you're listening in on some of these things, I'd love to answer coach questions uh, or even just anything that comes to mind. I'd love to be able to answer that and, and kind of broaden our scope for these things. So very much appreciate it. Absolutely. So do we want to move on to the material, Griffin? Yeah, let's uh, let's go for it. So we've got Second Corinthians 4 and 5. Uh, 
Scott, why don't you kick off first? What kind of stuff do you have from there? I am still pulling it up, but I really, I had very little that I pulled out of this. I mean, I think I go to the same, same things again, like how long are the chapters? The first one's very short. Um, second Corinthians five does get to 20 and 21 and it looks like those are each individual key verses. If I'm looking at this correctly, one thing I did notice is that there's there's not very many reference multiple answer questions in all of Second Corinthians, and so they're they're kind of dotted here or there in the chapters. I don't really want to say more than that about that, but they're they're pretty rare. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing, a couple of things that sort of jumped out for me: the clustering of unique words and phrases is uh, very much not uniform. So as you're memorizing through this material, uh, keep in mind there are going to be certain verses that will inherently lend themselves to significantly faster jumps in terms of numbers of syllables getting out versus others. So just sort of keep that in mind in terms of maybe, you know, memorize, you know, if you're going through and you're memorizing things, great, go through that your first, your first couple of times through. But as you're reviewing, maybe spend a little bit of extra time on, you know, four, two, four, eight, 416, 417. Of course, 416 and 17 and 18 are, are key verses anyway. Uh, but eight in particular is, uh, well, two, uh, for uh, two and eight are not key verses, but let's just say I have a feeling there's going to be, and I, I guess in part eight and nine, there's going to be some fairly rapid jumping that, that comes out of, of those questions as, com- or as those verses as compared to like, say, you know, 4, 11, 12, 13, that sort of thing is, uh, is going to be just a little bit different. Uh, in five, there's a little bit more even distribution of things, uh, not quite as many unique words and phrases as there are in uh, four, which means it's going to lend itself a little bit more to reference questions. So if you're specializing on reference questions, uh, that would be a great chapter to take a look at. Uh, the other thing is if you're not specializing on reference questions, you should, because there's a lot of opportunity uh, to pick up a, a lot of questions, uh, re- reference type questions, especially uh, chapter verse reference questions. There's a lot of opportunities. I'm noticing in 2 Corinthians 5, there's we are what, we are not what, and therefore what. And there is a verse that ha- that says, therefore we are. And so you have to be very careful about how you quote that so that you can be sure to isolate the we are what versus therefore what. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of three word key phrases, too, that kind of they don't look particularly exciting, but they can uh, come out and bite you if you're not paying attention. You know, five, seven, four, we live by four, we live becomes a three word uh key phrase. So like, uh, for we live by what? Uh, great question. Uh, slow and sounds like it would be fast, uh, but it becomes key after the third word. Yeah, it's actually key right on that, that L syllable. For we For yeah. yeah. But there are 17 occurrences of for we. Good stuff. Well, let's move on. Uh, in our rules section, a couple of, actually more than a couple of different very interesting rules to talk through and stuff. But uh, Scott, you're up to talk about the first I- answer uh, must be counted incorrect rule that has often uh, kind of tripped people up from time to time, at least in my room. Definitely. So the rule book says only the first answer of the quizzer will be considered. And when I was quizzing, this was used to, like, Coach quizzers, make sure you are quoting and not giving an answer so that 
if you were quoting and not giving an answer, then all of what you said could be considered as as um, information you're giving to be counted correct. Versus if I give an answer or something that feels definite, then the quizmaster might consider that to be what I've given, and I can't give other stuff. Well, at some point, I think this was when I was not quizzing anymore, I looked up in the rulebook and searched for the word quoting and found that it doesn't appear in the rulebook. And I don't think it has ever appeared. Um, and so there's no concept of quoting versus giving an answer. There's just things the quizzer is saying. And so I really am I'm, I'm a little bit leery on the inclusion of only the first answer of the quizzer will be considered. That said, it's really kind of rendered null and void by what the rulebook goes on to say, which in my mind is very clear, but is not often applied or understood by everyone. So the rulebook goes on to say, however, if the information given by the quizzer is within the context of the material and is not incorrect, the quizzer will be allowed their full 30 seconds to give the additional information necessary to satisfy the question and the answer. So most people know that you have to stay in context as a quizzer, but not many people or not everyone knows that that end is not incorrect is also a really important thing. So it means that a quizzer cannot just say stuff that the quizmaster considers to be incorrect. So when I'm ruling on things a quizzer is telling me, if they go out of context, I will call them incorrect before their 30 seconds is done. And if they, if they give me information that I deem to be incorrect, I will also call them incorrect and not allow them to finish their full 30 seconds. There's not a concept of quoting versus giving an answer. So if a quizzer stands up, says a four-word phrase, and then pauses, I, I never consider that to be the first answer of the quizzer, and that's all that I can consider. But I am definitely evaluating information that the quizzer has given me and saying, is this information incorrect, or is it just not correct yet? And that's obviously a subjective call that I have to make, but it does get very clear. Let's say you're talking about proper nouns, and you said, who went to Damascus? And the answer is Paul. And the quizzer gets up and says, Peter went to Damascus. Well, they're wrong at that point. They've given me an answer that I deem to be incorrect, and they don't keep to keep. Uh, they don't get to keep giving me information. This can get murkier or feel differently on multiple answer questions. Let's say it's the twelve apostles, um, or something like Peter and James and John and Paul all went to Damascus, and I say who went to Damascus, and the quizzer gets up and says Peter and James and John and Richard. Well. That feels less wrong because they got most of them, but they threw in Richard. Well, I treat this just like I would if I was asking for a single answer. That that answer they gave me of Richard is incorrect, and they are not allowed to keep going. I agree that this can feel harsher if maybe there's a list of ten people. Quizzer got nine of them right, and then they messed up on the tenth, and they can't fix it. But it's really no different from if we were just asking for the one. You aren't allowed to just cycle through guesses. We're testing your knowledge of the material, and especially in these very specific proper names or places, you got to give the right, the right one the first time. We do run into problems, or not problems, but difficulties in the Gospels, where there are different groups of people, like the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees and the elders and the elders of the people. And because we're not requiring quizzers to know the exact interpretation and historical meaning of each of those labels, sometimes a quiz master may be a little bit more lenient on moving between particular ones of those. 
But as I've kept quiz mastering, I, I find myself being more and more strict whenever even those groups of people are being referred to just because I don't want to get into the business of making the call of this is a very proper noun versus this is slightly less proper even though it's not a pronoun, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's I, I, I the way you're describing it is exactly how I roll, uh, or at least it's how I try to roll. I mean, it's one of those things where I think the quoting aspect of it, it like you said, it, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense that that could be considered okay. Um, in the context of like a lot of interrogatives. So like, you know, in first, uh, so in second Corinthians four, seven, since we were just talking about, uh, chapter four, uh, uh, all surpassing power is from who, right. Uh, or, uh, all surpassing power is what, or something like that. Uh, and the answer could be is from God or is from who God and not from us is sort of that second phrase. If, if the quizzer was simply answered, uh, all surpassing power is from us and can kind of wrap that around all surpassing power is from God and not us. It's like, well, okay, that is both quoting and incorrect. Um, like, you, unfortunately, even though you're in context, you're reciting words that are only from that verse. I have to take the first answer. Exactly. Now, one thing that I, I'm very careful to do is I don't say I have to take your first answer because I don't think that concept necessarily exists in the rule book. I will say, even though you were in context, you gave an answer that I consider to be incorrect, and that is why I'm calling you incorrect. Yeah, that's true. I should probably be a little bit more precise in that. I usually say first answer, and that's probably not the right thing to say. It could be a little confusing, yeah. But, but um, the, that can be very problematic, because um, I've seen many cases where the quizzer is quoting very well through multiple verses and they mess up a proper noun in somewhere in there. And it feels like, man, they got 99% of these words word perfect. Why do I have to call them wrong for this one thing? But I think as a quiz master, you, your judgment can be clouded by the full scope of what they were, of the information that they were giving you. Um, and, and you lose sight of the fact that they just can't give incorrect information. Yeah. And I mean, it does seem a little bit unfair when it comes into play, but similarly, you know, if you've gone through a lot of uh, all kinds of different question types, including references that have been fully spoken uh, by the quiz master, and then somebody jumps on a reference question that is not fully recited, the question is not fully recited, quiz master asks for the question, quizzer can't provide it, quizzer's counted incorrect. Uh, it, it, it may seem on that one question a little bit overly harsh, but it's the same rules for everybody. It's, it's as long as we're consistent, that's, that's the, those are the rules we're playing by. Definitely. So the next rule in our, in our agenda is two to three word unique phrases. And this is going to be a quick one. The rule book has recently changed to be a little bit more clear. So the definition of a unique word is a word that appears only once in the material or more than once if that unique word is found only in one verse. So on unique phrases, they're defined as two or three words, the sequence of which distinguishes them from the rest of the material. But under unique phrases, it does not have that same caveat or more than once if that unique unique two or three phrase, two or three word phrase is found in only one verse. But that's kind of how everyone, in, that's what everyone infers from the rule book. So in those rare cases where a two or three word unique phrase occurs more than once, but only in one verse, it's written in questions as a unique phrase. Yeah. 
That can be confusing sometimes, but uh, it does make sense. It comes up almost rarely, and if you know the material, if you hear that phrase, your mind will go to the exact verse that it's in. And so there really, there really isn't anything extra you have to do as a quizzer. You just have to be prepared for the fact that, you know, if one verse says bread is remarkable and wine is remarkable, be prepared for what is remarkable to be a multiple answer question and not a reference multiple answer question. Yeah, and there's my uh, there's my little split uh, multiple answer question that we talked about uh, in a previous week sometime. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but yeah, it, a perfectly valid question. Yep. All right, so tell me a little bit about this new language. You've kind of uh, hinted at a little bit with me. I actually don't know what this is all about, um, but you know, you're on the rules committee. You know uh, a lot of the things that are coming down uh, the road in terms of new stuff. So, what is this new language about? If the question is not answered, all about. So this new language is live. It it came with the recent update to the rulebook that was a few months back, I think. And basically, this is meant to deal with situations that we refer to as a positive and a negative question. So say the phrase, live by faith, not by sight. Live how, live how, yeah, live how has traditionally been written as a multiple answer because live by faith, live not by sight. But it was the sentiment of some that it can be confusing to explain why this is a multiple answer to some quizzers, often younger quizzers, because other districts do have fourth or fifth graders quizzing in a junior level, um, but also sixth graders, seventh graders. When you're, because the question is asking live how, and some may say it's asking how you live, and one of the answers is how you don't live. Now, I have always found this to be very clear, and I can't recall ever having to explain to a quizzer why this is a valid multiple answer. But this new language is is making that structure invalid. Because it is saying that there's only one answer to live how, and it's live by faith. And the other answer, not by sight, is not answering the question. Because it is not saying live how, it is saying don't live how. And I think the general sentiment to make our rules understandable to a range of ages and experience levels is good. I think in practice, this is at best a band-aid. Like it's, it's an extremely focused rule for one specific situation. And I don't think it really solves that situation well at all. And I'm, I've found many, many questions that I've written that are invalid. For example, if there's a, if there's a reference question on a phrase that says, I am, I'm not the man. And the quizzer gets up and gives me the question, I am what? I'm going to have to call them wrong because they gave me an invalid question. Um, the answer to it, not the man is not answering the question. I am what? And the question I need is, I am not what? And I hate that. I think it is unbelievably quizzer hostile, and it's discouraging to quizzers to be able to be called wrong in a scenario like that. And I think that was a scenario that was not foreseen when this rule was written. Um, the rule was written to specifically handle positive, negative, multiple answers. But as written, it is applying to a lot more than that, which is quite unfortunate. And I hope the rule is really taken out altogether, because I think in practice and in application, it is problematic. Do you think there's a chance it'll be reversed in the next couple of years? Perhaps. I, th I think um, the process by which the rulebook was updated was definitely a democratic one. So um, I think it will take feedback from people that are not me to um, bring about a change on, 
for this one. And so I am curious to see or to hear how other districts have implemented it. If I if I get to go to internationals this year, I'll be interested to see if it comes up and if it is, if the rulebook is consistently applied by officials or not. Because I really just don't know about those things. It could be that every other district has no problems and it's improving life for them. You know, I I really don't know. Yeah, could be interesting to see. Yeah, I remember you talking about this uh, now that you've gone through it. I remember you talking about this at uh, a meet not that long ago, but uh, I didn't realize the, the, the nature of how it was phrased. Interesting, interesting stuff. All right, so well, if you're sorry, a quizzer, if you're a quizzer, it means that if there's a not in the material and you are having to give a reference question, just shove that not in there. Because if the quiz master then says, your question was, I am not what, and I was looking for, I am what, you can then challenge and say, hey, that structure is invalid, and here's why. Um, there's no scenario where you should be called wrong for saying, I am not what, and the quiz master was really looking for, I am what, if that makes sense. Yeah, if it's in, if it's in the verse, yeah, yeah. Correct. All right. Well, walk us through uh, key verses. I mean, a lot of this is a review for uh, the veterans, but uh, there's also some new stuff coming up on the horizon about key verses, right? There is. I will go pretty quick. Um, But key verses are treated much differently within a given district compared to outside of that district. So within a district, you have a range of ages of your quizzers, experience levels, motivations. And so we treat within... Pacific Northwest, we treat the key verse list as a list of verses that we want to encourage quizzers to memorize first. And so it is a subset of the material. It ranges between 20 and 35% of the material. So it's less than the whole material. And if you want to memorize a decent amount of verses but not the whole material, we want to encourage you to memorize these. And they are specifically selected for their spiritual significance. And this is spiritual significance relative to the other verses in the material. We are not making the claim that if a verse is not a key verse, it is not spiritually significant, but we are saying we want to create a subset of the most spiritually significant verses to encourage quizzers to memorize. So within the Pacific Northwest District, we do that. We say these are only going to be asked as a finish these two or a quote these two, or this one's only going to be asked as a finish this because we want to give help to the quizzers and make that a very defined list. Once you go outside the district, oh, and before I get to outside the district, other districts do different things. They may have um, a key verse list, but they don't tell their quizzers about it. Or there may be no key verse list and any verse could show up for a finish, finish the verse or a quote. There's many different ways that these types of questions are treated by other districts. But once we get to Great West and internationals, there is no publicized list of key verses to the quizzers. So it's up to the quizzers to do their own study and make themselves a study list of the verses that may be used for finish questions and quote questions at Great West and internationals. Now, some may say, why do you do this? Why do you want to like make us do all this kind of subjective work to try to guess what someone else subjectively decided. And I think that's a very valid question. And it's my hope that whoever is selecting the key verses for Great West Internationals puts a lot of effort into them um, so that if a quizzer puts a similar effort, they will have an advantage because quizzers reading through the material and trying to decide for themselves which verses are spiritually significant, stand on their own, which ones fit best as a pair – like that sort of work is really good 
um, engaging with the material, and we want to reward quizzers for that. So for this year, one thing that we're going to help you all out with is if you are a quizzer who's looking to go to Great Western or Nationals, we're going to help you out by providing a study list for you. Yay! So, so, because I found that for all but the most experienced quizzers, like quizzers in their sixth or seventh year, it's just so daunting to finish the fifth meet and then have to make a study list for Great West, which is in three weeks or whatever. So we will have a study list for you at some point, um, which you can study. And I believe the verses will all be marked. So you can at a glance see all of these are key verses within PNW and these ones aren't. So you, you'll know like, oh, there's these 30 verses that I should memorize to um, be confident about my jumping on finish the verses and quotes at Great West or Internationals. Very cool. So anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, key verses? Yeah. So for the last, I don't know how long it's been, but the key verses at, I want to talk specifically about internationals, have been just terrible. And I don't know the reason for this. I will give some backstory in that I've had a lot of conversations with people, and people's interpretations of the rulebook and key verse questions differ greatly. And I'm not here to say that one interpretation is correct and one interpretation is wrong. But my interpretation is that because we are saying that these verses should be spiritually significant and stand on their own, whoever wrote the rule book and came up with these question types is saying, like, these are special to some degree. So I think that the verses eligible for key verse questions should be some subset of the material. Now, I don't know if that the most appropriate subset is 20% of the material or if it's 80% of the material or somewhere in between. I don't know, but I think it should be some subset. Other people take the standpoint that all of the Bible is spiritually significant, and so we're going to use all of them for key verses. I think that's incredibly short-sighted. Like, you know, why did we create these special types if we're just going to use them for the whole material anyway? Similarly, I think that the specific key verse types like finish this, finish this in the next, finish these two verses, I think that those were created for specific cases. So if I run across two verses that work better together than individually, I'm going to write those two as a finish these two verses pair, and I'm not going to ask them as an individual finish the verse or quote. Some other people only use finish, finish these two verses for scenario where one or both of the verses could not be asked as a finish the verse because they don't stand on their own or whatnot. Um, and so in their minds, this type was created for verses that um, you couldn't really make a finish the verse before. Whereas I say, hey, they might have been fine standing on their own before, but I think when paired with another verse, the message is so much stronger that um, that's how I want to write them. So I would hope that regardless of if your interpretation is make key verses 20% of the material or 80% of the material or how you want to do finish these two verses, that you put in some amount of thought and say like, hey, um, these are the verses I want to highlight and test in this special question type for the Quizzers Internationals. Well, in practice, it appears that the verses selected are almost random. I really, I, I kind of want to give the people selecting them the benefit of the doubt, because if it's not random, then you're either intentionally selecting poor choices, or you don't, aren't using any criteria when you're selecting them. I'm really not sure. But last year at Internationals, which I was not there for, I was messaging one, one coach from another district, and I, I really, really, really respect this coach, and they told me, 
um, by the way, this district is always super well prepared. They do well in internationals. I, I love to watch their team's quiz. They're very prepared. But this coach told me all the best teams are not jumping on finish the verses until the fourth syllable because we have no idea. There seems to be no thought or I can't remember the specific wording. But basically what they told me was any effort or study we've put in is really rendered useless. And so we're jumping at four syllables on finish the verses. Contrast to when I was quizzing or even back in 2012, 2013, when finish the verse questions were a syllable and a quarter. Like extremely fast, but it appears at least last year and for the previous two, three, four years that the key verses being selected and asked the internationals are are just really not good. And that's I hate that because to me it's not rewarding quizzers that have studied. And I see quizzers from all districts, not not just P and W for sure. Like all districts put in time, they jump on something like when the and I see them guess the one that is definitely the most spiritually significant. And the verse that it ends up being is like something totally random um, that doesn't seem to be very meaty. And so I don't really know what, this, what the best solution is because I do love it that, that the official keyverse list that is the basis for internationals is not provided to quizzers or coaches at all. I think, I think that's great. But I think some more discussion needs to be had to at least – at least settle on some more general criteria for how these verses will be selected, which will then give coaches and quizzers who are going to be competing internationals a, a target to shoot for. I think right now everyone is shooting. I think most teams are shooting for the same target and it's the wrong target. And I think that that is too bad. Yeah, it's very demo. I could imagine that would be very demotivating too. If you put in all of this extra time and effort, uh, and then to be in a position where you couldn't leverage that extra effort, it would have been irrelevant to you. That, uh, I can imagine that be, would be very frustrating and demotivating. And, uh, that's kind of the opposite of what we want to get out of this program. I absolutely agree. I see verses like, then Jesus went to them and said, the kingdom of God will come and will, and, that type of verse is tailor-made for finish this. Like I can only guess that the finish of this was created because so many verses in narrative material start with this introductory, Jesus went to them and said, he came to them and answered. That I'll tell you the truth what, you know. It doesn't provide a whole lot of information, but then it begins a quotation, um, and there's the true meat. And, you know, I bet you someone looked at this and said, hey, there's 20 verses that start with then Jesus came to them in John. We can't ask those to finish the verses. Um, why don't we just make a, sp- a special type that we can ask this where it gets meaty? Well, now I see these those types of structured verses being asked to finish the verses. And I'm like, did you not think at all about why finish this is were created? Like, I wasn't there when they were created, but I feel like I'm right in inferring why that type was created. But I just don't – I don't see that borne out in the questions that are selected. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, coming up here pretty soon, as we've talked about a couple of times in the past, is Great West, and you've got a couple of updates about that, right? Definitely. So I am hopeful to have a Great West practice. If we do have one, it would be on March 24th, which is a Saturday. I picked that date over March 31st because April 1st is Easter, and a lot of people are doing things for their Easter services at church. And there are often setups and rehearsals and things on that Saturday. Plus, um, even if you're not um, have some big role in your church's Easter service, 
people from Grace Harbor and our Oregon churches really don't like to make that drive a day before um, a big church service like that. So I'm shooting for March 24th. I will find out later how many people are able to attend because I, I will need a critical mass of people to hold that practice. But it would be it will be at Alliance Bible Church in Covington, and it'll run something like 9 to 3, and it's okay if you have to come late or leave early. But we'll do a lot of practice and prepare for Great West, and I I love this practice. Like it's always a bit of a stretch for me to put the, to get this practice together between Meet Five and Great West, but I think it's an invaluable experience to prepare because Great West is quite a different animal, and it's fun to get a lot of your top peers together and compete against each other. Very cool. And then the other the other thing is I alluded to it, or I mentioned it earlier that study keepers list that Florence is making. We'll be making that available. Um, I, I'm, I was going to say ASAP, but I probably will not post it on the website or distribute it until Meet 5 is concluded. Um, but it, sh- it will be available so that you, if you are a quizzer who targets key verses within our district, that you can take a look at it and get yourself prepared for Great West. Very cool. Well, the next meet is coming up very soon, and it's going to be at Lighthouse, which is in Puyallup. But before I talk about lovely Puyallup, I want to mention that registration is uh, necessary for this meet. And is actually, there's a deadline, and the deadline is coming very soon. In fact, the deadline is this Friday, uh, although I think Scott is extremely... Um, uh, not the lenient's not the the right word. You show a great deal of grace uh, in this department, uh, and so you know uh, if you can get it in before say midnight on Friday, so much the better. But why wait, right? Uh, there's just go uh, go if you're not uh, already registered, just go uh, you know nag your coach. If you're a, if, if you're a coach who hasn't registered, nag yourself, um, and then tell tell me how you did that because that would be kind of cool to nag yourself. But anyway, go register. Um, in terms of the uh, location, uh, Lighthouse is right off of 512 in, uh, I guess, kind of the heart of Puyallup. I mean, uh, it's not North Puyallup. It's sort of the main uh, section of Puyallup south of of uh, the river and, and south of 167 and so forth. Uh, but that being said, despite the fact that it, it is not that far off of I-5 on 512, traffic can be not so great. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, the greater Tacoma, you know, Puget Sound area, I-5 traffic on a Friday, uh, right as everybody is starting to show up uh, in the evening for this meet. So please plan accordingly and add in appropriate an, an appropriate amount of buffer uh, so that you are able to arrive on time. So anything else you want to add there, Scott, about uh, Lighthouse? I don't think so. Oh, one thing, Lighthouse is kind of always... They seem to have a little bit of a new look to the church each time, but their sanctuary is the best lit sanctuary for pictures. So if you want to have great pictures of your quiz team, come to Lighthouse because they often have really great backlighting on the stage and you can get some really good looking pictures of your team quizzing. Yeah, that's very true. Very cool. All right, so I want to close on a couple of meta things about the podcast, as we've mentioned uh, before. Uh, please email us. Uh, even if all you're going to do is email us and just say hi, you can say hi, Scott, and hi, Griffin. Uh, we love that. Uh, send us email at iq at cbqz.org. And uh, it uh, will get to it. And if you've got any kind of questions, whether you are a quizzer 
or an ex-quizzer or a coach, uh, please email. Of course, if you're an ex-quizzer, fair warning, uh, we will probably try to recruit you into some sort of uh, role within quizzing, but we'll, but we'll, we will still answer your questions anyway. Uh, but as of uh, what, just a couple of days ago, uh, Scott has created for us a, something very exciting and new. Uh, it's a new Twitter account. Uh, it is uh, at Inside Quizzing. So if you want to email us, iq at cbqz.org, or follow us on Twitter at Inside uh, Quizzing. And there's this, also this other thing of like Instagram. What's what's Instagram? What's that? So I am always trying to be social with PNW Quizzing. And so there is an Instagram account, which is PNW underscore Bible Quizzing. Now, that account is run by me. And so as a result, the posting is very sporadic, and it often goes in spurts and then large, long, quiet periods. But I hope to put up things there like pictures from Great West or information for the upcoming meet or other stuff like that. There's, there's also the website, which you probably know about, but it is www.pnwquizzing.com. And that website has... Tons and tons of stuff. It's got tips and tricks for quizzers and coaches. It's got statistics. It's got our schedule. It has a blog, which has not been posted on very recently, but that blog does have a, a series of nine posts that I did on various various software tools that can help you in your quizzing. Um, things that you can use as like a flashcard app or ways that you can um, organize your Kiever's study list alphabetically things like that. And so if you want to go on and read about each of those software tools and see if there's a way, um, if any of them fit uh, a way that would help you study, that would be awesome. And then also on the website, there is a resources section. So if you go to this year, which is 2017-2018 Corinthians, at the bottom of that menu, it's Corinthians Quizzing Resources. That is password protected. So ask your coach or your program leader for that password. But in there, we've got a, a whole lot of resources. We've got the color-coded reference material, a concordance, a unique word list, a unique phrase list. There's the reference material by verse in Excel. So if you want to sort every verse by how many characters are in it, or if you want to randomize the list to make yourself a, a quoting uh, test, there's many things you can do there. There is other information I put together a big thing about how to use Microsoft Excel to help you study in Bible quizzing. I put a something called the Material Mastery Hierarchy, so you can kind of self-evaluate how well you know the material. There's also a really, really awesome coach's manual put together by our friends from Canadian Midwest Bible quizzing. So there's, there's a lot there to really help you if you're a quizzer or a coach. So please head over to the website if you run into problems or if you want to write something for the website or if you see a typo there's a contact form on the website that you can reach out to very cool or email us at iq at cbqz.org or twitter at or twitter us at inside quizzing <laughs> any of these many 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 different uh, social universes absolutely all right, cool. Well, thank you, Scott. And uh, I suppose as is tradition, uh, now I will uh, close by reading off a blessing from our friend uh, uh, Apostle Paul uh, from uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore, uh, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are be re being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. 
Bye, everybody.